Here's an experiment for you. Take passionate experts in human resource technology. Invite cross-industry experts from inside and outside HR. Mix in what's happening in people analytics today. Give them the technology to connect. Hit record. Pour their discussions into a beaker. Mix thoroughly and voila! You get the HR Data Labs podcast, where we explore the impact of data and analytics to your business. We may get passionate and even irreverent, but count on each episode challenging and enhancing your understanding of the way people data can be used to solve real-world problems. Now, here's your host, David Turetsky. Hello and welcome to the HR Data Labs podcast. I'm your host, David Turetsky. Like always, I try and find someone brilliant in or around the world of human resources to talk to you about people, data, and analytics. Today, I have my friend, Paul Rubenstein from Vizier. Hello, Paul. How are you? Hey, David. Paul, I've got to tell you, the, the really funny thing about your background is that you say you're a recovering consultant, first-time chief people officer and a people analytics evangelist. Love the people analytics evangelist. Tell us what you mean by recovering consultant. I wake up every day and I still wonder how many hours I'm going to bill. I get a little <laughs> bit anxious. <laughs> so you get that heart palpitation is what you're saying. You're like, you know, it's funny. When you have to account through all of your work through, you know, some sort of a timesheet for so much of your life, and then you do work, you're like, wait, um, um, who do I bill for this? Or, you know, are they going to pay for it? It's a very strange right. transition. It is. And I've gone through that several times in my life, so I totally understand. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing now with Vizier. Yeah, it's it's kind of awesome. I, I was really fortunate when I was at Aon Hewitt, I did this secondment into the product strategy group. And this is about, I don't know, eight, nine years ago, early days of people analytics. And I remember the CEO coming into you know, saying, hey, what about this big data? I'm like, what about it? She goes, it's going to be big. I'm like, okay, what are we going to do? I don't know. And, you know, we had a lot of data, but it was like health data, retirement right. data, and a lot of outsourcing data, but it wasn't necessarily connected across the clients. And, you know, it was the days of data warehouses, big projects. Sure. So I went on this sort of journey of different technologies that were emerging and that's when I met the Vizier team. And it was kind of magical for me because it was the first time after all those years of curating a tech stack for a company, right. it was the first time I fell in love with a piece of software. And it was the first time I saw software, very little to do about the efficiency of HR. It was all about raising the level of strategic insights that HR could deliver. And I was in love. And Isn't it amazing when you get that feeling? It, I mean, it's, it sounds a little weird. Like how can somebody love software? But, you know, I think about the work that has consumed so many HR functions Absolutely. of being more efficient, being more efficient, being more efficient in the pursuit of impact on the business and so many investments around efficiency to create the capacity. Well, now there's like all kinds of exciting software to give us insights, to give us actually more interesting data and new ways to consume it. Like right. we're, in, we're in the golden age, man, of interesting people data. <laughs> right, right, right. And, and the, the funny part is, is that there are a lot of companies who have yet understood how to consume it. 
and how to leverage it and how to bring it into the hands of the people who can desperately use it. And I know we're going to be talking about that today. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. I'm excited to talk about it. And I'll tell you, the coolest thing about my job is I get to work in a living laboratory. That's great. So I get really cool software and I can, you know, push the uh, boundaries of it. And I, I tell you that the hardest thing for me is not being out there during the pandemic, right. talking about the cool stuff we've been doing. Yeah. Miss conferences. I think a lot of people miss conferences. And it's funny you mentioned that because coming up next week, from a timing perspective, we have the HR Technology Spring Conference. So I think a lot of people are interested to see how that goes since the last one was actually really good. Yeah, I think Lexi Martin's speaking on uh, what we're doing with technology and and, uh, diversity and inclusion. So it'll be cool cool stuff. Looking forward to it. One fun thing that people may not know about you, Paul, is that you're actually, you actually can sail. So, yeah, you know, like we didn't have a lot of money growing up, but my dad always had this tiny little sailboat and he taught (laughs) us to sail. It was pretty cool. And, And I remember being years later on a trip in Croatia and... You know, my husband and I were never like spending time on boats and uh, and the captain looks at me, you want to sail? I'm like, sure. And I grab (laughs) and I'm just like, yep, they weren't doing it. My husband's like, what the, you know how to do that? I'm like, it never came up in conversation. Right, right. That's not like, that's not one of the first things you tell people, but it is actually amazing. So uh, that someday we'll have to have that conversation about, you know, who's the person you'd throw off the boat first, but we won't do that today. Not today. Not today. So, Paul, today we're going to be talking about the CHRO and do they need to be hands on with people analytics, just like the CFO has their hands all over and their mind all around financial analytics. Yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, it's really interesting. If you've been around people analytics, I remember going to the New York people analytics meetup ages ago. And it was people who were trying to get the attention of the rest of the organization that people analytics was important. It was something that was off the side of somebody's desk. And the CHRO was mildly interested in, but didn't really know what to do with. Right. And now I see like I see some really cool stuff being done and people trying to get the time and attention of the head of HR and often other executives in right. how we can really change talent outcomes and business outcomes through yep. people data. Exactly. Sometimes the CHRO is a little bit the I watch them a little bit be the anvil, not the hammer when it comes to this. Mm hmm. And I think there's an amazing opportunity here for the CHRO to, I don't want to say be more like the CFO because it's a different sort of thing, but the CFO has this magical thing they do with data. 12 times a year, they publish a PL, right? And you know, yep. you're either a hero or a goat, right? And it's not about the financial accounting standards, right? The CFO doesn't really get into the accounting, but they turn around and say, what are the measures that are important to present to people right. so that they focus on the right things? Right. 
This is their way of broadcasting strategy. This is their way of helping provide, you know, it, it really, for them, it collapses their distance to impact. So yes. many small decisions happen so far from the C-suite. Right. And it's the collection, it's the sum total of those decisions that determine a outcome that shows up on the quarter end, year end, et cetera. Using analytics and putting them in front of people to help guide those decisions and change. But that's the key, man. That's what the CHRO needs to do. And the CHRO needs to be front and center using it. Like people need to see them do it. Like, so for example, I remember working with a, a CHRO and we talked about the meeting, right? So if you've ever been to the CHRO staff meeting, sure. imagine this table and first the the centers of uh, the COEs go, right? You know, what's going on in benefits? Well, tell me right. what's going on in comp. How's learning going? What's going right. on in recruiting? And then you go, well, what's going on in business unit one, business unit two, business unit three? And they all tell these stories. What's missing from that is starting with the numbers. If everybody starts with the same sort of numbers, it aligns them, it guides them, it shows what's measurable and important Sure. And helps people distinguish what's from urgent and important, right? What is the, you know, the drama of the week versus what gets us on our long arc goal? Yeah, but I, I think a lot of times HR has always been stuck in the, we're a cost center. We only have half of an equation. We can't tell you what our impact has been to the profit or to the outcomes in a business because they're not being shared with us or they're a little bit further away. To your point before, they have not grown up understanding their impact to business, and therefore, it's not second nature to HR. So that's the common narrative. But I will tell you, like, think about the HR business partners. I think there's a lot of business savvy in HR. It's just they don't make use of all the tools that are available to them today. Yes. So I'll think about HR business partners. Let's take them, for instance. They are pattern recognition machines. They're human patterns. They turn around and like, oh, we're not going to do that again. But they rely on their intuition. They rely often on their experience. And as you scale and as the data becomes richer and as the issues become more complex and when you can't actually observe behavior anymore in a distributed right. environment. Exactly. It becomes, you know, you the next level is using data to do that. Look at comp people. Look at sales compensation analysis. Wow, there's nothing more aligned to revenue growth right. and, and you know people data. Where it starts to get interesting is when the business partner can turn around and use the data to say, I see this engagement score trending this way, and I see how this is impacting quota and turnover. And if we do nothing, this is the course of action. And in fact, people are like go, get all like worried that their analytics have to be interesting. But I will tell you, what if you do nothing is <laughs> really interesting projection. But 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 I think what you brought up is something interesting. You brought up and you added a data point which not a lot of HR generalists use. They don't get to in that sales equation. They don't get to quota. They say we see this impacting turnover, but they don't go to that extent of quota. And then they're only left with half of the equation. So they don't take it all the way to the what's the business problem that we're trying to deal with here, which is there's going to be less quota attainment. So we're not going to make our numbers for that quarter. And therefore, we're going to have a problem. So the turnover is leading to what? 
it's leading to our lack of sales. So this is a question of whose data is it anyway, right? Exactly. Yes. Like just because you work in HR doesn't mean you have to stick to HR data to make a decision. Mm-hmm. People in IT don't do that. People in manufacturing don't do that. People in sales don't do that. When you think about marketing, they look at all kinds of data. It's Absolutely. the diversity of the data and the wide lens that actually gives you a more holistic picture of how to take an action, right? Absolutely. The narrower the view, the narrower the strategic lever you pull. The wider the view, the more options you you find yourself and the more impact you can have. And, and that's why I've always been preaching And for the people who listen to HR Data Labs, you've heard me say this a thousand times, which is good, which is this is not HR data. Everything we're talking about right now is all business data. And to Paul's point, it has to be all thought of on the same basis. If the CHRO does not believe that people analytics is part of business analytics, it will always stay as people analytics. When they start seeing all the other data as being bits and pieces of this entire puzzle, then that's where people analytics takes on what Paul's talking about, which is a richer understanding of how everything impacts the end result, which is business outcomes. And David, can I add one thing to that? Rhythm is important. Rhythm is really important. Often people don't share, you know, there's a lot of slow data, what I call slow data in HR. Yes. Right. How fast does a turnover data really change? You know, how fast (laughs) does an employee relations trend really, you know, make a difference? Right. Right. So it's funny. I see HR people fall into the trap of, oh, that's not really interesting. So I'm not going to you know, bother the business with it. Right. But think about it. If you get them on a regular diet to say, hey, your temperature is normal, your temperature is normal, your temperature is normal. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is different. They react. But if you only ever show them the one moment when it is different, you haven't sort of given them a basis right. for understanding that this is something I need to react to. You know, you know, your check engine lights are there. You see them (laughs) in front of you every time you get in the car. Right. And then they're meaningful when they go off. Well, but but, but there are those people, though, the moment they go off, they say, well, the car started. Well, I can go another mile. Uh, I don't need to get my oil changed right away. Or I I still have a couple miles more before I have to get another gallon of gas. And then they get bitten by the fact that they're at the side of the road having to call AAA and the pain they feel, like just like in business where they lose that really key resource because we've been telling them there's a problem and they haven't done it. But then that happens and then we can pull them back and then we can open their eyes. I think sometimes our HR's opportunity is in those moments when the check engine light is ignored and they finally get stuck. That's when we have the opportunity to come back to them and say, you know what? business. Let's now have a dialogue of how we prevent this from happening again. And unfortunately, until they get bitten, that's what happens. And look, you know, when people see a drop off in their sales, like in a month, right, the CFO comes down like a ton of bricks and says, immediately, is this a trend or real? Exactly. Yeah. But they have a, a nice sort of way of looking at a forward projection to say, look, this is what happens. Can you accept the risk? Yes. Look, in most businesses, people is the number one cost. People is the last indivisible element of business and organization performance that has not been conquered, right? You can't really innovate in supply chain. You know, you outsource it to (laughs) Amazon. IT is, you know, like technology, you know, keeps innovating. But corporate IT and the automation, most of those gains are there. All the IT innovation now is on the product side, right? Yeah. 
Financial engineering, you know, we had that revolution years ago. Sure, sure. Human performance is what's going to make a difference. Absolutely. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by Turetsky Consulting and listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. So, Paul, let's talk about how that changes the world of a CHRO. What does a CHRO today have to do differently than what they've done in the past with the data and the analytics that surround them? Yeah, so I think the first thing they have to do is have a vision of what they're trying to impact and understand how change in analytics really works, right? So there's a moment. There's a moment like, okay, let's, I'm going to use a, a, a timely example. Let's talk about diversity. Sure. Right? You ever see those uh, presentations to the board where they're like, we're going to increase female diversity and they get this yeah. chart that goes up and to the right. Yes. And they say to the board, we're going to uh, do a hiring program where we're going to spend $20 million on, and we're going to be really public about it. And they come back a year later and nothing really changed. Yep. And they're like, well, I don't understand. It wasn't our fault. You know, we just, here's the thing, the actual moments that matter in making a decision of who to promote, who to hire, to change the workforce composition often happen far from the C-suite. Absolutely. Yeah. That leadership team sets the tone and has a responsibility to shape the community, but it really does happen far away. And so if you think about the moment of of a manager, right, what is the... You know, you started to hit on it before. What is the enemy of media? Uh, what is the enemy of great breakout performance? It's inertia. Yeah. Most people drive, uh, most people operate on pain avoidance and inertia. Exactly. So if you have five people on your staff and someone leaves, you feel like I got to get someone in as quickly as possible. And it's exactly. your own pain and your unconscious bias of hiring not maybe not even someone like you, maybe the exact person that just left that job, right? right? Right. But what if you started to see data, like we talked about the CFO, that says once a month, before I make a hiring decision, after I've made a hiring decision, this data is front and center so that you understand how your single moment and your decision connects to the longer arc strategy. That's how analytics works. It frames you. It either connects you to a strategy or reframes your decision in that moment, interrupting inertia. But but go back to the the great example you used before about the sales issue that Mm -hmm. the CFO saw, right? Mm -hmm. And the measurements, the micro measurements that happened along the way that the CFO's office was tracking in their analytics to see there is going to be a problem with bookings. And then they they yes. call that manager and say, there's an issue. We need to work on this before you make the next decision. That doesn't happen between the CHRO or the HR generalist and the manager. There is this issue where something's dropped along the way. There's some break ah. in the process. Okay, so it's really interesting. Like, what's important to who? So the, the, the classic thing that happens is a telephone game a little bit, right? If you are a business unit HR business partner, you sort of are stuck in this weird dual loyalty yes, to the business unit you serve and to HR. Mm-hmm. And the CHRO can't get to all those business unit leaders. 
and talk to them with the frequency that the HR business partners sure. assigned to them can. So how do you get everyone on the same page? Everybody looks at the same set of data at the start of the month or the start of right. a meeting. Right. And that's how the CHRO can be present in all of the meetings that they can't physically be at by reminding people we are driving to an outcome. Do your decisions align? Right. But but at the end of the day, though, after the decisions get made, mm-hmm. there has to be some sort of true up or there has to be some sort of understanding and, and kind of reflex that happens that then measures was that decision the right decision? Was it a good decision yeah. or whether well, is a bad one? And I, I'll look right at the incentive systems, right? Mm-hmm. Do we tie outcomes to incentive systems like bonus programs or merit increase programs so that the right things, whether it's from a pay equity perspective, whether it's from a hiring and diversity perspective, or from a, a staffing perspective and, and making the right decisions on promotions and, and transfers, where along the way are we putting in the right checks and balances to tie it directly to what hurts people, yeah. which is their increases or their bonuses? So I'll, I'll tell you what we do, right? We use OKRs, right? Very yeah. popular in a lot of So we, you have to state an objective. If your objective is to, and I'm going to go right for changing diversity, like we have a specific we analyze, we used data to understand why we had a net gain in women over three years and not a net gain in men, but we still are falling behind in women in management positions, right? Mm-hmm. Right. What does it have to do? What are the promotions? And it's like, we got to fix this. Yeah. Right. So we put a key result tied to an objective around our talent that is public. Good. And we and transparent, right? And everybody sees it. And what, every month, you're like, oh, did we do anything? No. How many months can you go without saying, guys, we're not moving the needle, especially yeah. when it's in front of the whole company? And this is where transparency yeah. comes into play. And I will tell you, like, who's the, I forget who's the busy, if you can't, if you want to change it, measure it. Like, and diversity right. is a tricky one, David, because yeah. for so long, attorneys have told us to hide the diversity data in case we Absolutely. get sued. Yeah, but man, you ain't going to change it unless you put some sunlight on the damn data. And that's why I'm hoping, and I'm I'm sure you are as well, that Regulation SK from the SEC yeah. does yeah. put some focus on some of the behaviors that we've been told to hide. And it's not it's I've literally been told we want to take on the ostrich effect instead of being able to uncover issues that are going on in our company. Like they want to put their heads in the sand and not know that something exists rather than measure it. And I'm talking about CHROs and I'm not going to mention the company names. I would never do that. But I've had those conversations with people who say, listen, if it brings up pay equity, I don't want to see it because I don't want to know it exists. Yeah. So, if I, yeah, so plausible deniability. That exactly. It doesn't work well in the age of digital communications and transparency. It's going to come no. out in a text. It's it going to come out in a tweet. Let me tell you something about overdue library books. The longer <laughs> you don't return them, the more expensive they are. That's and, right. You know, you feel so much better. Yes, the librarian might yell at you for a little bit, but the longer you wait, the louder the yell. But I mean, that's the reason why, and I've had lots of conversations with Ian Cook from your organization on this, and and we love talking about this particular topic, which is we're shocked that more hasn't come to light 
because of Regulation SK, which mandates the release of material people analytics to the shareholders, to the public. And, and you know, they don't they're not specific. They don't say come out with your diversity metrics. Don't they don't come out and say, tell us what what's going on in your in your hiring of race, ethnicity. What they say is, tell us the things that are material to your business. And so we're going to see a lot of, you know, frankly, boring data come out until we get a challenge from a shareholder group, which says what you said. Tell us what's happening from the diversity perspective. But, but David, it's not just shareholders. This is the thing. Sure. We, we live in an age where customers are making choices about what kind of company they want to buy from in B2B. Absolutely. Employees are making choices about what kind of environment they want to work in. You know, it's look, what you put out there in your disclosures is in many ways an expression of your culture. Absolutely. To help others see the truth and create a better future now is actually the purpose. It's the written purpose of our company. Right. Amazing. Yep. And like, yeah, it's a little scary at times. I feel very exposed showing gender gaps to our employees and and being like, okay, you know, but I, I know as head of HR, it's not just me. I don't own this problem alone. Sure. But, but to your point before, though, Paul, if you don't tell them and have mature conversations about it, then behaviors cannot change. Yeah. Yeah, look, we 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 approach this. I mean, this is a podcast for another day, but we you know we we break it down into three parts: open mind on this diversity issue, right? Um, do you understand the business processes that are historically that go back to a history where bias was not even understood? Everything, sure. and how do you turn it into conscious hiring, conscious promotion, uh, conscious yeah. recruiting, things like that? And then also mindset. I will tell you, a lot of people don't know how to operate in a diverse and inclusive environment. So you have to build capabilities. A lot of people don't know how to balance a checkbook. A lot of people don't have a lot of life skills nowadays. That's you know, right. that's a yeah. product of the North American education system. So, you know, yeah, you can blame people, but you can also show them what good looks like and then hold them to a standard. The open book stuff means creating analytics standards around diversity. Right. In fact, for any of your analytics, you should have a set of standards. It goes back to what That's the right. CHO is saying, what's important to measure. In fact, we created a concept for measuring inclusion. Right. It's not just yeah. about workforce representation, inclusion. So open book is about analytics standards, but also analytics transparency, using the data in an operational cadence. So people understand the change that's expected, the change that they're driving to, and how to connect those moments. If you put the data in people's hands before they make a decision, right? I call it, you step on the scale before you open the fridge, right? If you do that, <laughs> feedback mechanisms, think about your Apple watch that's when right. it beeps you that's to right. remind you to move, right? When you start to yep. put these data into those feedback mechanisms, that's your chart, you, you start to change behavior and the transparency around. And finally, open hearts about community, what the leadership does and how you build a community and rituals around it. So ritualizing the reading of data, ritualizing the reminder of the programs that we have to change the outcomes. That's how it all starts to fit together. But a lot of those things are classic. The data and transparency and accountability and the age we live in for that connects the diversity initiatives 
and makes them tangible. And I can apply that same sort of approach to solving overtime costs in a hospital or changing sales outcomes. You think about all of it. It's connecting the behaviors through transparency and good measurement. And, and and I think it also happens that right now you mentioned this that the consumers of these data points and of these yeah. new pieces of insight, people are becoming better consumers because in their Apple Watch or on their phones mm-hmm. or in their banking application, they're now getting exposed to things that they had not been exposed to before, which is real-time feedback on analytics that in the past they couldn't get because the technology or the paper yeah. that they were being sent in the postal service, it didn't give them the ability to have real-time feedback. So I, I think what my hope is, is that the maturity around being a good consumer translates to being a better employee, being a more mature employee, being a better manager, being a more mature manager, yeah. but, and that, that works out to being a better company. So a lot of technology and a lot of consulting firms talk about employee experience, right? It's like, you know, hey, you need to upgrade your employee experience, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Employees want to be able to access their tools. They want to um, you know, have a positive experience in the tech they encounter, et cetera, et cetera. I will tell you, managers, people leaders, the people in business decision, they have an expectation, too, that they have insights into analytics because they do it on their home stock trades. They do it with their retirement funds. They do it with their health, like you said. And, you know, people aren't just going to choose where to work as an employee. People are going to choose where they feel supported as a people manager with the tools and insights to make great decisions. Nobody wants to drive a car blind. That's true. (laughs) Although... (laughs) <laughs> Although technologies are coming to yes. enable them to do that, to be yes. distracted while they drive. <laughs> yes. Tesla has games okay, built really into scary. their cars. <laughs> You're supposed to keep your hands on the wheel of the Tesla, David. <laughs> uh, but they tell you there there are new technologies they're coming out with, and Apple's coming out with it too, which is a car that will drive without you, and it will have to enable you with better behavior. I know that's where you're not where uh, going with the comment. <laughs> I just want a stick shift, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but that's the funny part. There are people like yeah. like you and I who want to have the feedback mechanisms yeah. of a stick shift. Not in the paradigm is not just in driving, in okay. our financial institution or, or or driving our organizations. We want that stick shift. So you bring me up. You bring up this interesting. This this uh, I want the feedback. There are a lot of people who have these crazy expectations of AI, right? You know, I get AI that gets thrown out. Like, I I swear you can make a company and put dot AI after it and their valuation (laughs) goes up and the expectations of what they're, you know, going to deliver is, okay, so what is practical AI in people analytics? I'll give you an example. Think of a call center, right? Think of a call center manager. That is a tough job, right? You know, you typically have a a span of control is, you know, high and, you know, you've got like maybe 20, 30, 40, who knows? And you only got, you know, eight, 10 hours on your shift there. And you got a lot of people fighting for attention. I want to talk to you. 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 But when you start to harness machine learning to look at, um, 
who is most likely going to leave based on all the data. You start to and you start to change how you spend your time. And instead of going to the noisiest person, yep. you go to the person who is most likely uh, to leave based on data. Yep. And those are the practical things, but you still you still look at it, right? You still have to understand it's not going to like auto fire somebody. Right. Yeah. You know, that's not what AI is going to do. It, uh, you sure. know, it's not going to actually select somebody for your hiring. You're still going to have human intervention. You need to you know, we have a need to see, touch, feel people. Mm-hmm. This just guides you better. You might be instinctive about how to drive somewhere, but you check ways to understand yep. the Absolutely. most, the least trafficked route. But you sure. still make decisions along the way that are human. And we've had some great discussions around AI. And one of the recent ones that we've had that kind of drives a point home of how AI can really super help us is you onboard an AI just like you would any good employee. I had this one with Chris Avrilla from Deloitte, where you treat that AI and with the care and feeding that you would any other employee, you give them the onboarding experience to understand your culture, understand the needs, and you train the AI, not just using the data of old, because obviously HR data of old has what we were talking about before, which is built-in bias. But then you train that AI on what to ignore and what to help us with, and you give them the right to go and do it. And then you give the feedback to be able to train it along the way to get to the right outcomes. And then it has it has its goals, right? And you want it to get to those goals. To me, Paul, AI is just like any other worker. Unfortunately, it comes at a different price point and it comes with different outcomes. And it's not strategic. No. It can't adapt to strategy, right? That is, you know, strategy isn't an algorithm except in trading. <laughs> you know, stocks, true. right? You know, true. I mean, that's like business strategy is real and, and reactive. And you know what AI will never understand? An opportunity hire, right? Like, oh, I see somebody that I wouldn't have thought to hire in this job description, but if I think about what the business really needs, now I can go back to the manager and say, don't fill the position as you thought about it. Let's go back and... Now, look, AI can be helpful to sort through the wheat through the chaff and deal with all issues, and there's a lot of good uses of it. But, you know, it also, like, how how do people... How do people want to spend their time and money in HR and HR tech right now? Um, that's another thing that confounds me. Um, people are still spending on their second or third web cloud-based uh, sure. deployment of an HCM. And they're like, oh, well, you know, we got to get more efficient again, you know, or, or, or you know, we need to do these transactions better. And right. we will get to analytics after we figure out our transactions. We will right. get to the meaningful insights. We can't give you meaningful insights until we're absolutely sure that all of our data is completely correct. Let me tell you something. The general ledger, right? right? The general ledger, nobody argues over uh, at the end of the month and says to the CFO, oh, that general ledger entry was wrong when the CFO is explaining a trend. But HR almost invites to say, well, I don't think that that termination reason was correct. So this trend can't be right. So I'm not even going to talk to the rest of your data. That's crap. That's got to end. And there is a diminishing return to investing in all of those transaction systems. 
the interesting things are happening in the new data, network analysis, frequent sentiment and sure. continuous listening, in assessment. Things are interesting. Things are happening in robotics, which is sort of a form of AI yep. to build transactions regardless of what systems, to take transactions across systems regardless of, you know, so you can change them out over time and analytics. Absolutely. But, but, but Paul, one of those things that you mentioned as you were talking about throwing the baby out with the bathwater with the HCM is that it doesn't matter which HCM you choose. The yeah. data is always going to be wrong unless it's examined prior to the implementation. And that's, that's one thing that we help people with is we look at the data and make sure that it's better than what it could be if we just let it go. Do you know, it's the biggest, uh, all of Vizier customers are like, oh, we can't, we can't put this out there. It's not clean yet. Let me tell you, you put it out there, it gets clean and it stays clean. It, it's exactly. Just, it's, that's what happens. People care what's in their financial statements because they see them all the time and there's Absolutely. strategic objectives tied to them. So they have an interest. It no longer becomes HR data because it was never HR data. It was business data. And that brings us right back around to the beginning, <laughs> which is that HR, if HR wants to be able to be seen with their people analytics as being part of the business, that they need to stop treating it as just HR data and seeing it as business data. Nobody ever said, oh, that's just inventory data. <laughs> no, no, they never will again. Not not since the pandemic and being out of stock on everything and, oh. and going into retail stores and not seeing anything and people saying, well, we've been using these great systems that buy just in time until everyone from the producer all the way through wholesalers to retail, there, there, there is no toilet paper. Hey man, I believe in buying local. So, uh, you know, this has been, this has been great for any, for local business. Oh, sure. Yeah. I don't know very many local toilet paper producers, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but on that note, I will end the podcast. <laughs> So, Paul, we've talked about really the, the world of the HR leader, the CHRO, and how it's changed, how that job has really changed with having people analytics. And now what is the role of people analytics in the business? And is it being the business partner that it can be and being able to help solve business problems? And I want to thank you and, and ask, is there anything else that you want to add, anything we didn't get to that, that you wanted to quickly spend time on? I, I just want to remind people that, you know, people analytics, you know, it's a couple of things. It isn't about answering questions. It's about helping the organization ask better questions. Right. It is a way of giving a platform to curiosity. It's a way of helping the CHRO scale right. and provide a rhythm of content to help keep everyone focused on what's important and what outcome they're driving to as it relates to talent and business. I want to remind people that it's not HR data, it's business data. And business data is HR data. And finally, stop worrying about how you construct and build analytics. Start consuming them and get them out there. That's where the real value comes from. Let's pray that people understand, the, especially the last thing, they, they've got to get there.
Paul, thank you so much. It was awesome having you. Hopefully we'll get you back soon. Stay healthy, stay safe, stay sane. Thank you, Paul. And everybody, thank you very much for joining the HR Data Labs podcast. I appreciate you joining. Please, if you have someone that you might think might find interest in this, please send it to them. Please hit subscribe so you can get notices of the next podcast coming out. We appreciate your support. Thank you and stay safe. That was HR Data Labs. Please visit TeretskyConsulting.com forward slash podcast to review the show, add comments about this episode, or add new ideas about upcoming shows you'd like to hear. Feel free to be creative, but please be nice. Thank you for joining us this week on the HR Data Labs podcast, and stay tuned for our next episode. Stay safe.